0: Well, welcome to Valley. Um, We are in our Matthew series, if you haven't been with us. My name is Mark. Man, it's a good day to follow Jesus. That's what I have to say. Um, My thoughts are a little scattered as I start today. However, I think the Lord has something cool for us. Um, Last week, Michael taught on... This huge turning point in this uh, in the book of Matthew, where Peter—I don't know if you've heard of him—but he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus tells Peter that the church will be built on him. So we have this like kind of like iconic like situation here, where Peter declares, "Jesus, you are the Messiah," and we get this amazing like sequence here where Jesus says, "Peter." going to build the church on you. So I'm going to read uh, the section of Scripture that we're going to be in tonight. We're in Matthew 16, just 21 through 23, because we don't want to go too fast, because if we get through the book of Matthew, what are we supposed to do after that? Um, But besides that, it's just an amazing book, and there's some good details that we want to focus in on every once in a while. So starting in 21 here, and then we'll just pray and dive into it. Um, It says in 21, from that time on... Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So some strong language. There we go. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your word that helps guide us and teach us more about who you are and Lord, may we just come to know you even more. This is kind of a strange passage and some strong language that you said to Peter here, and we just pray that you would teach us more about who you are, even though this uh, might seem a little abrasive or offensive even, we just pray that we could learn uh, through this tonight. Uh, Spirit, we just pray that you'd uh, speak through me and... uh, Organize my scattered, and just, Lord, we just pray that you would work tonight, and Lord, that you would be present here with us. We love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so I had, like, intentions of doing kind of like a lead-in story to draw you all in, kind of like Michael was sharing last week, and the only thing that I felt like God was actually telling me to share it was that... I'm scattered, and the the crazy part about this, uh, it's very short, and, um, like, the application that I have for you at the end is nothing crazy, nothing new, but it has, all I'm saying is the Lord spoke to me through this short little set of uh, passages here on nothing I anticipated on. So, that being said, I want to... um, Just share that. And sometimes the Lord has unexpected things for us, and sometimes He reminds us, and sometimes um, it is something, you know, just brand new that we've never heard. But in this passage, I think it's pretty cool because we see Peter, who just had this amazing moment with the Lord, have kind of a 180. Well, maybe not a 180, but like just this totally different view of him that um, you would be like, is that the same guy? (laughs) Like that can't be the same guy we just heard three verses earlier on, but it is the same guy. So we learn from Jesus, and it says from this time on in verse 21, from this time on. This is like Portion that you could normally go like, ah, from this time on, like whatever. But from this time on, Mark's like this new change in Jesus. So since Peter had just declared that he is the Messiah, he is now speaking to them, not just in veiled terms or symbolically, he's speaking in very plain terms. I am the Messiah. And now, because of that, this is what's going to happen. I am going to Jerusalem and the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, I must be killed and raised on the third day. So this is that change that is happening. He is now speaking plainly about it. D.A. Carson says, the time for symbols and veiled language was largely over. This is now Jesus speaking plainly about it. However, in saying this very plainly, this is like, everyone's like, what? There's some new information here. The disciples were probably expecting one thing, um, but Jesus said another. Um, What's the name of this guy? Leon Morris says, for the Jews in general, and presumably for the 12, up to this point, being Messiah meant unadulterated glory. The Messiah might encounter opposition and even hardship This kind of thing was no more than an unpleasantness that must be passed through on the way to majesty and splendor. So essentially, the disciples were probably thinking like, oh, Jesus, just gotta get through to a couple more people. Just a few more people we gotta get to like on our way to stardom, fame, everyone like bowing down before Jesus because he truly is the Messiah. But instead, Jesus starts to talk about how he's gonna be killed So there's this whiplash effect happening with uh, the disciples here. And Jesus is talking about the end when they're like, whoa, isn't this just getting started? Aren't we just getting going here? Jesus will suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. So, um, like, when I first read that, I was just like, oh, that's just… A fact. But uh, the more commentaries I read on this, this is not just like a fact. This is almost saying like Jesus is going to suffer like at the hands, not of like pagans or like heathens. These These are his people. These are his Jewish brothers like of the same religion. The elders are these Pretty much like respected community leaders, uh, the chief priests, primarily Sadducees. These are uh, teachers that uh, help interpret the law, and we got teachers of the law, the Bible scholars. These all together form part of what's called the Sanhedrin, the the governing body for the Jews, and they are essentially like this. Supreme Court, so to speak, and they are the ones that are going to make this decision for Jesus to suffer and die. And the craziest part about this is that these things must happen. I feel like Peter probably zoomed in on, like, killed and must. Like, that's probably all he heard from that whole thing. He's like, Jesus, what? What? Jesus must be killed. R.T. France calls it a divine necessity. And that was kind of an interesting phrase to me, this divine necessity that Jesus must be killed. But when we look through scripture, it's very evident. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, being Jesus who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to the sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed so we know now like in retrospect so to speak that Jesus is this sacrificial lamb that was killed on our behalf for the forgiveness of sin and this must happen, this divine necessity, because sin is huge. It's not just like this little problem or something that we can muscle our way through. This required Jesus going to the cross. So essential was Jesus for this plan that Jesus says something harsh later on here. But before that, he even mentions this Crazy part, like, right after that, he's going to be killed. He's going to be raised. Jesus will be raised. According to the scholars, uh, there's this passive voice here. Like, raised is more passive than he's, like, going to, I rise. Um, That indicates that God the Father is doing the raising. And after being dead and then buried in the tomb for three days, Jesus will be raised. And that's just like, when I was thinking about that, and especially Easter coming up here, it's just, man, it, it, hits, it hits different, you know? Easter being so close and thinking about that. And that in itself seems more crazy than Jesus being killed. The fact that he would die, oh man, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, this is our Messiah here. But then the fact that he would say three days later, I will be raised. The thing is, this goes completely, completely against what the disciples uh, had in mind for when when they heard the word Messiah and when they thought of Jesus, they were thinking something completely different. And in verse 22, this is where Peter decides, okay, I'm going to take Jesus aside and talk to him about it. And he doesn't say much, at least from what we can tell. It says just, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter's bold. He's brash. There's like a lot of, I don't know, he reminds me of a lot of traits of people that I've seen uh, nowadays, like just this, like, You know, you want to be like Peter in a lot of ways. You want to say what's on your mind and you want to be like him because he's uh, just like, like, he is who he is and he's not ashamed of it. We love that about him. But also in this moment, he is maybe stepping a little too far. And Peter, it says, rebukes him. And this is the same uh, word for rebuke that Jesus uses when he rebukes the wind and the waves, when uh, he calms a storm. And also the same word for rebuke when Jesus casts out a demon out of a boy. So not just like, I rebuke you, Jesus. It's like, I rebuke you. No, this shall never happen. With some like, mmph behind it, Peter completely means every word that he is saying here. This probably shows kind of the shock that is, that, Peter's having in this moment. And R.T. France says this is not just undesirable, but unthinkable to Peter. This complete, like, how can you even say this? This is not what the Messiah is about. And the biggest comparison that I can think about this is um, if I ever mention or hint at the possibility uh, to my wife that maybe one day I might die, she goes, Absolutely not, and and it's end of discussion. And that's we. You should have seen us trying to get life insurance one time. It was just like, well, what are we doing here? I can't talk about anything. <laughs> anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, all I'm saying is, it goes against everything Peter believes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> and <laughs> scattered like I said. Uh, Sixteen uh, twenty-three. Uh, so, this is Jesus' response. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Um, in my opinion, this, is, like, this whole like, sentence that Jesus says to Peter is probably one of the harshest and most cutting responses that I think uh, I can think of that Jesus says. And it's v- like so strong. Get behind me, Satan. Not just like, you numbskull, or like, you idiot. No, it's like Satan, like the enemy, the evil one. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Like, you're not even on my level. Like, get on my level, bro. He is completely, like, giving it to Peter here. But why does Peter deserve such a harsh reply? Why does he deserve these stinging and probably like, like very cutting words that go deep. And when we look back in the book of Matthew, uh, when we look in the temptation that Jesus had in his 40 days of fasting with the devil in the desert, we see that Satan tempts Jesus with a lot of the same things that Peter is suggesting here. Uh, Satan tempts Jesus with turning stones into bread. He also tempts Jesus by saying, throw yourself off a high point and let God take care of you and catch you. And he also says to him that, like, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if only you bow down to me. Satan tempted Jesus with glory, unadulterated glory, the stuff that, um, uh, like, of dreams, parades, honor, but without struggle, without suffering and death. And Peter was essentially uh, suggesting the exact same thing to Jesus. Jesus' death was so essential to God's plan that anyone saying that Jesus didn't have to die or take that path was saying the same thing as Satan. That's kind of crazy, But when we look at that, it's the same sentiment. Jesus needed to stick to the plan that God had before him. And again, we look back and we see, Jesus, you are the Messiah, To Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't even want to see you or associate with you. Get behind me. You are a stumbling block to me. It'd be one thing if Peter was just unhelpful, but in this instance, he is right between where Jesus needs to go. He is tripping up Jesus by suggesting this different path. And if you're wondering, yes, almost every Bible commentator made a cheesy pun about Peter the Rock becoming a stumbling stone. It, is, it was just, I could hear all these little like, of the Bible commentators in my head. like They're like, oh, I'm so witty. No, but um, why is Peter a stumbling block? Um, The biggest thing is that when Jesus says that he does not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns, he is pushing forward with his uh, earthly ideas, with his human concerns, and getting right in between Jesus and where he needs to go. What were the concerns of God most likely? You know, just the ultimate plan for salvation, that's all. But Peter was probably focused because on Jesus, like being his friend, this person that he's grown to love immensely and that I just heard that you're gonna die, let me step in and try to stop that from happening. He's also thinking about what should or should not happen to the Messiah. However, as we read in uh, Isaiah 55, there's this huge difference between us and the Lord and this verse states it better than all of them. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If our thoughts are like walking and running, God's thoughts are more like a spaceship just cruising like past light speed, just way beyond anything that we're able to comprehend. Even though Peter had this probably completely justified reasoning uh, in his mind that made sense Nothing compared to what God had planned or was concerned about. Which leads us into our response and how, when we look at this, how do we apply this as a church and individually? And when I read that verse, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And how the concerns like of God are not on my mind. I've got human concerns. I think, man, at least for me, I feel a lot like Peter. And maybe our understanding, or maybe your understanding, of what Jesus is doing and what God's plan is, is beyond us. RT France says, "But human thoughts are not God's thoughts, and if they are not questioned, they can stand in the way of God's purpose." and derail it. Again, Peter had these good intentions but got in the way of Jesus. And that can easily happen to us as well. We don't like to think that, man, I can stand in the way of the Lord. But we definitely can have this mindset that is completely opposite of the Lord. On a large scale, when we look at stuff like the war in Ukraine or COVID or civil rights stuff going on right now, political fighting, all that, there's, like, questions that come up in our mind. Um, On a small scale, finances or health, relationships, marriages, friendships, uh, family relationships, stuff with kids. Like, Chris and I have children that we're, like, we love you. Oh, why do you hate us um, all the time? There's stresses of keeping up your house, like paying the bills, getting things done, mental fatigue, lack of motivation, no joy. It it happens. And some of us are worried about like what our plans are going to be like for the rest of this year, five years, 10 years. What's that going to look like? It's easy to look at uh, what's going on, maybe in your life right now, or what's going on in the world even. uh, And ask God, like, where are you, Lord? What are you doing? Do you care about this? Are you, are you just removing your hand completely from the situation and just seeing what happens? Or maybe even like, Lord, you should be doing something about this. Lord, this is what you should do. This is how it should be done. This is how you should be glorified even more. We can, all, we can probably find, like, all sorts of answers and things like that, but what... Uh, about what our world should look like and what our personal life should be like and how the Lord should be intervening or not. But whether we plan on it or not, we are informed quite a bit by our culture, by our past, and by our, our desires. That informs a lot of our thoughts about God. That informs a lot about what we, what we think God should be doing. So what should we do about that? And this is where the, the application for me took like a little bit of a turn because I was thinking like, oh yeah, the main application is don't be a stumbling block for God or anyone else. And, um, but man, the, what the Lord was really speaking to me was about my thoughts. And, not, and the language here is not just, hey, let me think about your thoughts, but like who you are, what is deep down inside of you? So the, the main, one of the main takeaways for tonight is question your thoughts. That is like one of my takeaways for the night. Question your thoughts. We are told to test and approve what God's will is. And we are told also to hold every thought captive, to consider the Lord and concern ourselves with where is the Lord in this? What is God doing? What are some things that he is up to? I think when we have thoughts and big questions, especially about life, we need basically like a filter to put them through. And maybe this is stuff you've already heard, but for me, I needed this reminder because the last two years, I don't know about you, it shifted the way I've thought about a lot of things. And it moved me in, a, in directions that like, I would have never considered. And so maybe some of the past two years, maybe some of just like the yesterday even, I don't know, could have changed the way you are thinking about life, could have changed the way you are thinking about God, could have changed like, even questioning your thoughts on scripture. But here are some questions that I think you could ask yourself. Like, does this line up with what's in Scripture? Simple question. But does that define some of the things that are going on in my mind? Like, does this thought line up with what is in Scripture, this thing that I'm asking of God? Does this line up with the character of God, the things I see in Scripture, who he is, who he says he's about, this is the things that we need to concern ourselves with: the character of God. Does this help help me to love God and love others? Those are just three simple questions that uh, I've been asking myself, especially when it comes to big things in life right now. Um, this sort of thing, uh, like a strainer, to catch those thoughts that are not of the Lord, because. For me, my thoughts are the beginning. Like, they always, like, say, like, oh, you, you don't wake up and just want to go sin. Usually it starts with a thought. And for me, that's completely true. I don't think, oh, man, I'm going to go do something bad. It always starts with a, man, I feel a little weird right now, <laughs> and I'm going to go do something. Like, and I want to have a chicken wing. Well, a chicken wing leads to eating a whole turkey, and then that's just a weird analogy. Sorry, um, but you get it. It leads to one thing that leads to another, and I think if we're not careful, our thoughts can take us places that we were never expecting. The next, uh, the next point that I want to make is love the Lord's thoughts. This is. Throughout scripture, it's filled with these beautiful passages about meditating on the Lord's law, keeping our eyes fixed on things above. I love in Psalm 139, 17, it says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. And this is the second point where I was like, I know I was a middle school pastor, and I said this all the time to like all our students but I need to hear this, too, and that is we need to read the Bible. It is something that, for me, I get in a habit of doing and then I fall out of it. It is something where it's like when I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, I'm set and I'm good. Um, and then when I fall out of it, there's this disconnect with me and the Lord, my prayers change, my, my heart changes. We need to read the Bible. We need to read the Bible. <laughs> When I first read this passage, um, this application uh, that, and the Lord put on my heart, I was like, I tested it uh, in scripture. I was like does, the Bible, like, does the Bible say that I should read the Bible? Yes, it does. Does it line up with the character of God? Yes, it does. Um, does this help to love God and love, love others? Yes, it does. And I was like, oh gosh, like I preached it to myself and like had to like let it wash over me and allow me to go, okay. Lord, I need to read the Bible. So guys, maybe this whole, like this section is completely for me, but maybe tonight you need to hear it too, that it is not only important but essential for your walk with the Lord. When we don't do this, we can become the stumbling block. When we are not in the word and able to see what God is doing and know the difference between his voice and Satan's voice, that is when we become a stumbling block. When we can't determine if uh, the Lord is leading us down a certain path, maybe we are becoming our own stumbling block. The idea here is that, unfortunately, we can switch this whole thing around where we can love our own thoughts and we can question God's thoughts. And unfortunately, for a lot of the world, that's what happens. That is why the path to destruction is wide and the path to life is narrow. This means that reading the Bible and dedicating yourself to knowing the story of God is something worth doing, something worth being about. And I'm not asking you to be a crazy expert or anything like that. I am definitely not an expert but I am asking you to be relationally invested. And what I mean by that is you're not just like, uh, I'll use my wife as, as an example. I know a lot of things about my wife, not because I've studied it, but because I've spent time with her. I know a lot of things about my wife, not because I have flashcards, but because I see her beauty throughout the week, throughout the years. Those are things that you can't just memorize all the time. Those are things that you can't just go, ah, I showed up once a week and figured that out. Those are things that need to happen daily, weekly, monthly, and then over the course of years when you're like looking at Jesus through scripture, man, it's beautiful. You can hear his voice. You can tell his voice from Satan's voice. So when there's like that doubt, like you are not good enough, you're gonna be like, get the frick behind me, Satan. That is not my Savior's voice. When you hear things that like, maybe following God is not the coolest thing to do, you're like, heck no. Get behind me. I'm following my Lord and Savior. He loves me. He died for me. When you feel that doubt, when you have those questions, man, that is, the Bible becomes not just like a, a book. It, it's like a relationship launch pad for you and the Lord. So, as uh, Michael and Greta come back up here, um, that is my final uh, call to you guys tonight is to Pick up the word. Relationally invest. Question your thoughts and love the Lord's thoughts. Let's pray. Father, we, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for the fact that you that you have these uh, have your words written down for us. Lord, words that seem like they were a long time ago, God, but are up front, present, and guiding us still. Lord, may we fall in love with with your word, with your Bible, with your scripture that is not just like a quiz book and facts that we should know, but, Lord, uh, a relationship to be dived into Lord, we just pray that um, maybe there's some things, uh, some questions in our mind right now. Maybe there's some things we're thinking, Lord, that you should be doing in our lives or in this world right now. Lord, we just pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, that tonight you would uh, reveal to us if that is your voice or not. Lord, if we need to let go of some of those questions or maybe we need to dive deeper Maybe we need a better knowledge of who you are through your word. So Lord, we just thank you again for uh, this time we've been able to share together and Lord, that you're still guiding us, that you're speaking to us. So help us to hear your voice now and help us to worship you and just thank you, Jesus, as we reflect on that. It was a divine necessity that you should go to the cross and die for us and how that you, even though you're infinite, the universe is at your fingertips, but still you know us personally. So we just thank you for that and praise you, Jesus. In your name, amen.